My name is Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. As a coach, one of our guiding principles is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. Now, if someone would have told me that I'd meet the love of my life in the midst of a pandemic, which would eventually turn into civil unrest that would culminate in an American insurrection, which would be watched all over the world, yeah, I'd, I'd have laughed. And, and then I would have asked them what platform it was streaming on. I mean, because I'm always in the mood for a bad movie with a cheesy plot. And as hard as it may seem to fathom, in the craziness that was 2020 with all the chaos that everyone was experiencing, I was blessed with a wife and a baby girl. My wife and I have been through almost every single curveball life has to offer in one year. And our next adventure was being parents. The first test was news that our little one had a hole in her heart and a cyst in her lung called a CPAM. Now, this all happened three months into the pregnancy. And as you could imagine, it completely derailed us. Like, what does this mean? What if we lose her during pregnancy? What if, what if we lose her after birth? What if this affects her quality of life? What if we aren't cut out for the job? What if, what if, what if? And this is all the context of the first three months of my fatherhood journey. As you can imagine, I was worried big time. Once I noticed where my mind was headed, I chose to stop worrying about what I couldn't control, and I decided to focus on what I could do something about. And that was me being a good dad, especially being a good dad to a young woman because I have no clue how to do that. So I decided to have a conversation with friends. And the first one up to bat is my good friend, Joseph O., who is the father of two amazing girls. He's one of my good friends whom I've known for over 10 years. Currently, he's also a teacher living in the Bay Area and a, a Golden State Warriors fan, but we won't hold that against him, right, Joe? With Joe, I was able to talk a bit about fatherhood fears, parenting from experience, and the beautiful power of grace. Let's jump in into some of the more, you know, focused questions as it relates to, to fatherhood and, and being a girl dad. It's just it's just a, a couple of days away, so it's right around the corner. Who knows Podcast when this will might get interrupted? Actually, you got to get up and run out. I, you know what I'm saying? I'll be recording an episode like "Let's Go" <laughs> live from the delivery room. <laughs> exactly, but I, you know, and I want to hear actually from you. You're the only person that's like I would say in my age group. I've asked some some older brothers. One of them being actually my father-in-law. And then mm -hmm. I've asked another friend of mine, Dan, who I think I told you about Dan Gray. He has seven kids. So his his firstborn was a girl and she's 26 now, I believe. Wow. And then, yeah. And then his, the final one, the seventh one, she's six years old. So they have like a, I think it's like a 20 or a 21 year gap in between them. Wow. Uh, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to ask with, you know, wisdom from these brothers, because as a guy who won, you know, have, I've never been a dad. Mm -hmm. And two, it's like, I feel like there's this part of me that was always more confident in raising a boy as opposed mm -hmm. to like, how do you raise a girl, mm -hmm. you know, and, and wanting to, to gain some insight and wisdom into that. So I'll, I'll start, you know, by asking you, 
Do you remember the moment when you guys learned that you were pregnant and how did you respond? Yeah. You know, Aaron and I, we got married and of course I want kids. Like I didn't want them today. I was like, eventually, sometime soon, let's let's just enjoy being married for a little bit, you know, like how you guys are doing it. And let's have a baby. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay, exactly. That's exactly our path. <laughs> right. And it's been great. And so like, um, I think after like two years of being married, and the thing is, I think I even know the exact moment our oldest daughter, Olivia, was conceived because, you know, we were, we were, what's the room? What, what's the word? Um, uh, making love. Having sex. Yes. That's <laughs> we were making sex. And so, and you know, and like, you know, we, we weren't, we weren't like not trying to get pregnant. We were, we weren't trying to get pregnant, not trying to not get pregnant, if that makes sense. We're like, if it happens, yeah, it happens. You, but we're at the same time still like not trying to get pregnant. You, so, you weren't abstinent. Yes. So, um, but, <laughs> okay, but great. <laughs> what I, and I, I don't know who your audience is, but, um, but at a certain moment, <laughs> you um, remove yourself from the situation, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Okay, uh, yep. okay, you got me. All right. And then uh, um, that happened. And um, <laughs> I kind of looked at her and I was like, um, I might have been a little slow. I might have, I might have pushed hey, the envelope a little too much. I might have, I might have tried to, you know, and uh, and so okay, and then uh, but you know, like nothing happened, and so we're like, all right, cool, and like uh, that moment, you, it doesn't work that fast, Joe. It doesn't <laughs> like, 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 hey, hey, I, I didn't know these things. Um. <laughs> And, um, but like, she's just getting like really tired. Right. And, um, we're like, we're not, we're staying up late. We're not eating healthy food. We're not working out. And so she's like, I'm going on a juice fast. So she went on a juice fast, but she's, but she also has to commute an hour to San Jose where she's teaching. And then an hour and a half with traffic back. She's just not feeling great. Goes on a juice cleanse, all this stuff, um, goes in to see her doctor and her doctor's like, have you taken a pregnancy test? She's like, no. Um, so she comes home, she bought a couple of pregnancy tests. And um, I was like, not gonna let you, you're not gonna go through this alone. I'm with you. And so I grabbed the pregnancy test. She took one, I took one. Mine was <laughs> negative, right? And, so I was like, and then she showed me hers. And then I think wait. there were like two lines on it. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, but do they need to be like clear and bright? Or like, <laughs> and so like that, that's how we found out right there. I was like, I, I guess. And it, and it went from you're pregnant to like the whole we're pregnant thing. I was like, we're pregnant. Okay, we're pregnant. Yeah, we're pregnant. And she's like, um, hold on. And I was like, I told you I was a little slow. I told you. I knew it. Like, <laughs> and uh, that's that's how we found out. And um, in that exact moment, I was uh, I was a little scared. Because I was like, mm. this, I was like, I want this. But at the same time, I was like, this means it feels like things are going to change. And there was, a, there was a little part of it that was selfish. I was like, I guess I, I'm not going to be staying up late playing video games. And and I wasn't doing that as much anymore after I got married because, you know, my spouse told me, like, yeah. no, you're not doing that anymore, right? But, right, because you wanted but, to be a grown-up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this idea of, like, my own personal freedom time or me time, like, I'm going to have less of that. And um, there was a little, a little tiny little bit of kind of, like, <gasps> concern or yeah. fear about that. But then I thought, I was like, no, but this is a good thing. I remember just telling myself, like, this is a good thing. And like that kind of settled me down and just made me more like um, 
excited about it. Like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And of course, and then I remember like when I got married, I lost some of my quote unquote personal freedoms, right? I can't just go hang out with the boys, right? Mm-hmm. But actually I, I gained more. I gained so much more from the relationship in my marriage. I gained so much more actually, actually I gained more freedom in my marriage than I had before. Mm-hmm. Even though I gave up what I thought were certain freedoms, I've gained more freedom. I'm more free now today than I was before I was married through the relationship and the process of like healing and forgiveness and growing learning to love, like learning to serve, like I'm actually more free today. And so I was like, the same yeah. thing can happen being a parent. Even though I feel like I'm losing freedoms and it is a sacrifice, it is hard work. I believe that at the end of it, like there's going to be more. So I was like looking forward to it. And How old were you at the time? I was around um, 36, kind of a late bloomer, 36. 36 oh. years old. Yeah, I think you and I have- You guys a, you, just found you, out you're pregnant. You'd been yeah. married. We've been married for about two years. What's that? We've been married for about two years. And you and I have friends, I think, that two were like, years. that um, had kids when they were like 19, right? Or something, 19 or 20. Right. So, so I'm like, you know, having a kid at 36, you know, that's a lot, it's a lot older. I felt like it. Yeah. So you were 36 years old. You're like, okay, we found out we're pregnant. And then what about when you found out you were having a girl? What, oh, was man. there any, so, um, how'd you feel at that moment? Um, so we went to the hospital. And then they're going to do the whole thing of like, do you want to know? Do you want to be surprised and wait? I was like, we want to know. Tell us. Right? Like we had friends that were like, write it down in an envelope. Um, and we don't want to know. And we're going to, ch- we have a boy's name and a girl's name. And when the baby's born, you know, we'll figure out which one, which name to give the child. Um, we were like, just tell us, let us know. And um, sitting in the hospital about to find out like those things. Yeah. Like, oh, I might have a son. I might have a daughter. Do I have a preference? of which one I want. For me, I always kind of, if I was going to have the, like, you know, uh, multiple kids, the oldest one for me, I was like, oh, I'd like to have a daughter first. I don't know why. I haven't really thought about it. But son or daughter, mm-hmm. like, for me, I was okay either way. I know some people have a preference for one or the other. But I think you realize this too, like, what happens as a parent, like, it's okay to have preferences. But there comes a point for me where I was just like, I just want my baby to be healthy. And because sometimes, like, Doctors start to do all these screenings and tests and saying this can go wrong and this can go wrong. And you know, before I might have had this whole wish list of what I want my baby to be. And like at the end of the day, it was just like, I just, God, I just, I would like my child to be as healthy as possible. And so that that's kind of where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the doctor came back and told us, like, hey, it looks like it looks like she's a girl. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna have a daughter. All right, let's go. Um, we're driving back from the yeah. hospital, driving home. And um, as we're driving, it's just sinking in like, I'm going to be a father. I'm going to have a girl. Okay. And we're at a stoplight in Walnut Creek. Why not? I'm going to just throw it out there. Walnut Creek, California. Some people call it the dub seat. <laughs> the Walnut hood. Creek, right? The and hood. Uh, we're at a stoplight. And um, <laughs> next to us, a car pulls up with three kids. Right? I call them kids because, you know, whatever. And I look over, just because, you know, sometimes I look over at people that I, I want to know who's driving around me. I look over. Um, and this kid looks at me and then he goes, jing jong, jing jong, jing jong, 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 jong. And um, you know wait, me a little wait, People right? got to know, what's your, what's your, what's your ethnicity? Oh, what's, yeah, what's your ethnicity? ethnicity? Right. I'm Korean. Korean American. Yeah, people are going to just hear right. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm born in this country. Mm-hmm. I was born in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I flipped. And I put my car in park. The light's still red. I open my door. 
Um, I walked over to his car and I guess they thought they locked their doors, but they didn't, or maybe they didn't think I was gonna come over. His doors open, I pulled it open. I stuck my face in the car and my nose was like maybe one or two inches from his face. And I was kind of spitting on him, you know? I was like, say it again, say it again. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to, you know, spittle was flying. I got in his face and he was like, oh, oh." I was like, say it again, say it again. I I was just so enraged. Erin's in the car, right? And she's like, getting out of the car. She's like, get back in the car. And I just cannot even like respond to her right now. Like, I'm just so enraged. I lost it. And so I just grabbed the kid's hat, right? Like they might've been like college kids or whatever, high school kids. I just grabbed his hat and like, I just left. Cause I was like, you're not going to say anything. You're just sitting there. All right. I just grabbed his hat. I walked back and then I just turned around, threw it back at him. And you know, of course they get the hat, put it on and they stick out their middle fingers. Jing, John, 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 I'm in, go back, job out saying all this stuff. And I'm just like raging. And the reason why I was so angry is like, people have said stuff like that to me before. And yeah, sometimes I get upset, but I had, I had never lost it like this. And it was because I just found out I'm going to be mm-hmm. a father to a girl. And in my head, it was just like, she's going she's gonna to walk into this. Like, and I know it might be different for girls because, you know, of course, I'm very aware of how Asians are perceived and treated in this country because that's how I grew up. That's my experience. Um, I become more aware of how other people are treated in this country as well. Asian men are treated a certain way, but Asian women are also treated like a certain way. Like they're treated as like objectified and exoticized and like all this weird stuff. And like all that stuff was like just came out. Like, and I mean, I got back in the car and I told Aaron, like, I'm never going to do that again. Because it put our family at risk. It put me at risk. It put our family at risk. I felt like I could take these three guys on no problem. Like I used to box, right? I used to do Muay Thai, right? I can run really fast if I'm in trouble, right? Like I was like, I can handle this situation. But I was like, I'm yeah. <laughs> And I was like, and when we have kids and there's a kid in the car, like I will never do that again. Like I will never get out of the car, start a fight with a random person because you never know what's going to happen. Like I'm, I'm going to swallow my pride and put our families like safety first. Like, and so I promised her that. And since then I, I haven't done stuff like that. But like, I just remember just feeling just so much like anger and just outrage of like, how dare you? And like, and it felt like such a special day. Like mm-hmm. we had just left the hospital so happy. And then um, I think if that happened now, I don't think yeah. I responded the same way. But yeah, that was definitely like, I, so I, I definitely won't forget that day. But it's also a part of like what it means to not. Yeah, it's, it sounds like yeah. a memorable day for a number of reasons. <laughs> it's like you know that kid doesn't know why why I was so. <laughs> but uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Well, so with that being said, so it's, it sounds like you have this was a powerful moment, and you're looking back, and and there's something that you would do differently, you know. So I think that that's a perfect segue to part of what I want to invite you into right now is. You know, if you were, if you had the ability to time travel and go back to, you know, your 36-year-old self and give yourself advice on how to raise a girl, what are the ins and outs, the things to do and not do, I just want to start there with like, what, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back and talk to yourself at the age of 36, right when you're about to have a girl? I mean, that's a good question. I think I think it's a good kind of like question to ask, and um, as long as you don't make it like a a thing out of regret, and I don't think that's what you're doing, right? Like, 
oh, I should have bought Apple. No, not at all. And I didn't. <laughs> like, but I understand like there's, you're like, yeah. learn like there's right. wisdom there exactly. from mistakes that we've made. Like the way I grew up, like my parents immigrated here from Korea, right? They came to a country where they chose to become like mute and deaf. Like they couldn't speak the language and they couldn't understand the language. They were traumatized. Like there was a war in their country. They saw people killed like in Korea. Before there was a North Korea, North Korea and South Korea, there was a civil war. It was brutal. People killed each other. They saw it. They ran for their lives. Um, my dad spent times in orphanages. His father died. Like there was a lot of trauma. A lot of horrible things happened. And they never got help. They never talked about mental health, mindfulness, breathing, right? Like none of that. It's just like you just wake up and go to work. I remember driving in San Francisco and um, we lived in this tiny little house in the Fillmore, right? In tiny little Golden Gate apartments. And we were driving the car with my friend and my dad. We, dr- we drive by this big house and it's nice. My dad's like, when I came to America, I lived in that, that house. I was so proud. I was like, that house is so much better than our little apartment in the Fillmore. And I turned to my friend who was in the car. I was like, yo, Danny, when my dad came here, he lived in that house. And, I, and my friend was like, whoa. And then my dad said, yes, in the garage. And then I got embarrassed, right? And I was like, oh, man. Mm. Later on, I realized like my father <laughs> sacrificed so much to come to this country that he lived in a garage you know, to try to support our family. And through all that, he, he just had to deal with it. Like he couldn't like get help or complain or, you know, he just had to deal with it. And like, so the way that they parented me was kind of like that tough love. Like if I didn't do my chores fast enough, my dad would tell me like, if people were shooting at you, would you move that slowly? And I was like five, six years old, mm-hmm. right? Because he had people shooting at him, right? And so like, he's, he's parenting me from his kind of experience and his paradigm. Yeah. And, and I know it's kind of a roundabout about way to answer your question, but like just knowing that that's how I was parented. Like we didn't really talk things out. It was just kind of like you got in trouble, things blew up, right? Like, you know, like sometimes I would laugh about with my friends about like, man, you know, like discipline back in the days, like, you know, you got a whipping, right? And we laugh about it. But at the same time, I was like, man, that was really traumatic. Like when you've got bruises on your body, you know, and you're like just a little kid, like, you know, when, when you're, and I'm just kind of sharing here and like, like, I love my dad and I respect him and I honor him so much. And I also know that there were a lot of hard things he went through that after the age of 10, he grew up without a dad. He didn't know what it's like to have a father mm-hmm. after, being, after the age of 10. And some people might not know what it's like to have a father maybe their whole lives or after the age of nine or whatever it is. And so when I was 11, he'd never been there before. And so the way he like parented me, I think he was just trying to figure it out with all this trauma he had dealt with. That's also how I grew up. And now there was a time in my life where I said, I'm never going to get married because I'm so messed up. And like, I've, you know, I kind of started this story by, by sharing me raging on some random people in the car. So your, your audience is probably like, Joe's got a temper problem. Right? Like, <laughs> like, he's, he's uh, Johan's friends with him because he's trying to help him or something like that. <laughs> but like, you know, like I... This I, is... Uh, this episode of the podcast is on anger management. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, um, I just, I just grew up like I, ha- I did. I had, I was so angry as a kid. Right. And so angry as a teenager. And like in my twenties, like I was so angry. I think that's part of the reason why I like boxing because like I could like get it out. And there was a time I told myself like, I'm too afraid to get married because I know the amount of anger and I keep it down and people are like, Oh, Joe's nice and he's friendly and he's funny. But I know when I get angry, like it just erupts 
And I just lose control. And I was like, I can only, I'm so afraid what I might do to someone like to my future spouse. Like I would never be able to forgive myself if I hurt my spouse that way, like physically. My kids, if I hurt them, like how could I live with myself? It's better if I never get married, never have kids. That's just the way it's got to be. And like, I believe that for a long time and I lived that way for a long time. Thank God that, you know, he knows better, right? And thank God for like areas of healing and growth. Found someone that I thought was incredible and amazing, got married, um, still had my issues, but God using someone in my life to help bring healing in those areas. And when I had a kid, I was like, so still like, I don't want to do anything to like scar or damage this child. We're going to mess them up a little bit, but like nothing deep, right? Nothing where it's going to really mess them up. And so for like the first two years of Olivia's life, like, man, I was maybe not all the time, but I was pretty patient and like pretty like, but I remember one day we're stuck in traffic for over an hour and she just won't stop crying. And I'd never shouted at her. I'd become impatient, but I'd never like shouted at her. And she's about two and a half sitting in the car seat behind me. It's just her and I in the car. She's crying for about 30, 40 minutes. We're in the car for about an hour of traffic. I just lost it. And I just started shouting at the top of my lungs. And I was like, stop it. Stop it. Stop crying. Stop it. Stop crying. Stop. Stop. Because I was just so frustrated. And I could see in the mirror her face. And um, she didn't look scared. She just looked really puzzled. Like, what is that? What's going Because she'd never heard me shout at her before. And instantly I regretted it. Instantly, I was like, oh no. Like, I just released anger and rage on her. And it like, it hit her psyche. It hit her soul. It changed something. It formed, it made an impression that's there now. Like, I've kind of, I've damaged her in some way. And I felt so guilty. I was like, I've been trying. And I, I was like, I, can, I only lasted two years and I lost it. I lost it on, on a two-year-old. And in that moment in the car, like, I just felt so guilty and so bad. And I really felt like, and you know, I, my faith is I follow the teachings of Jesus, right? And like in that moment, I felt his spirit speaking to me and saying like, I don't need you to be a perfect parent, but I need you to model, right? Repentance. I need you to model what it looks like when you mess up and how to fix it, how to go back to someone and like apologize. And so she's only two, but I, I was like, I was like praying out loud in the car and I was like, God, I'm so angry right now. I'm so frustrated. We're stuck in traffic. And I just started shouting and screaming at my daughter. And God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be that kind of parent. But I just got angry and I, can't, I couldn't control it. And God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Help me to change, God. And then I looked at Olivia and I said, Olivia, I'm so sorry that I yelled at you like that. If it was scary, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that. I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? And she just looked at me. She's like, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, she, she was in that moment. She was kind of over it, right? And she's like, I'm done. And, um, you know, I had a little snack in the car. I should have given it to her sooner, right? So I had a little snack <laughs> in her and we were driving. And so I guess the advice I would give to myself is like, be gracious to yourself. Like, I would tell myself, like, I know you're so motivated to be like a good dad and like a perfect dad and not, not to make the same mistakes your parents made or hurt you in the same ways. Like, I know that's your heart and you're still going to mess up. You still might even do the same things to your kids that, that happened to you even though you're like, I'll never do that. I don't, you might, you might. And so like, forgive yourself, right? Like forgive yourself and, and show mm -hmm. your kids like what it means to like ask for forgiveness and also what it is to forgive yourself. To so not be too proud to like, say like, 
um, I'm always right. Um, and so like that, that's like a big thing I would, I would have told myself was like, it's okay to yeah. up, ask for forgiveness. Be, yeah. You're a human, be human. Yeah. And you know, anything I tell you, I already feel like you already know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're <laughs> on this show to ask me stuff. And like, honestly, I need to get that, whatever stuff you have from your friends. Um, especially that guy who has like a 26 year old and a six year old. Like I definitely want, right? I, I definitely want <laughs> in on that. But that's one thing I would say. Another thing, and feel free to cut me off or jump well, in. Well, let me, yeah, because yeah, let's get even with the with the, the kind of the follow up for that. Because if you could, you are human, and living in a mode of self forgiveness, uh, you know, I can see how important it is as a father, you know, as a husband. I mean, fill in the blank of any meaningful relationship in your life, right? It's like be kind to yourself, learn how to ask for forgiveness, and release. Who do I need to be in order to help my daughter become the most potent, badass version of herself? Like, that's what I'm interested in. And I know that my relationship with my daughter is, is vital to her development. And if I do my job, the results will shine through her relationship with herself. Which brings me to activation relationship theory. If you're not familiar, it's a complement to the concept of attachment theory. Where attachment theory suggests that children come into this world biologically pre-programmed to form attachments with others, activation relationship theory serves to better understand the impact of fathering on children's development. After digging a little deeper, according to gender and parenthood, biological and social scientific perspectives, I mean, I need to catch my breath after that title, today's dad tends to make distinctive contributions to their children's lives through play, through protection, discipline, and encouraging risk or curiosity. At first, I asked myself, how do I not mess up raising my daughter? As a coach, that's one of the things I actually look out for in people's language. We call it a non-vision. It's when clients are clear on what they don't want, which is a great first step, but it's not the sweet sauce. The sweet sauce is turning that into a vision. So instead of not wanting to mess her up, what do I want? If I could wave a magic wand, what type of experience would she have growing up? What type of space would I hold for her to step into her power as a human being? These are the questions that I was asking myself now, and these questions aren't easy to answer. So I thought, why not turn to actual fathers for guidance? Men in my life who have years of experience with sons and daughters alike, the village elders, a concept that I believe we've lost in our current culture. Now, whenever a client wants to grow and is looking for a mentor, I ask, who has believability in that area? For coaches, believability is about two things. One, has this person achieved success in this arena? Two, have they helped other people achieve success? So when a client wants to grow in a specific area, we invite them into finding someone in a high believability of that area. We can grow more as you pinpoint specific people who actually know what they're doing. So when it comes to fatherhood, I knew just the guy. Dan Gray, father to seven children. You heard that correctly. Seven kiddos, five boys and two girls. His daughters are 19 years apart. In my conversation with Dan, I learned a bit more about the importance of transparency with your children and cherishing the important moments as they grow up. How can I really succeed at this? So I wanted to have conversations with, you know, people like you who I feel like have been great fathers to girls. And I wanted to ask, you know, certain questions that I feel like would give me some insight into how do I do that myself. And first question is like, how old were you when you became the father of a girl? Uh, I was 25 years old. Great. So invite me into like, what were you thinking? 
you know, what were some of your fears at that age? Okay. I didn't, I didn't actually think about that. <laughs> well, so I think where, where many men start is thinking about their own experience. I'm sure that there are men out there who are becoming dads, who are becoming fathers, who have had great experiences. They look back sort of as you were saying reflectively and say, yeah, I, I had some really good models. I don't think that I had bad models, but I think that I had some brokenness in the models. And so one of the things I remember really concerned about is in the broken model or in the brokenness of the models that I had for parenting and fatherhood, would I be unable or in, or is there some blind spot that I have that would make me a bad father? And I, I do remember there was some fear there that I would make a mistake. And so there was tentativeness and mm. you know hesitancy. And looking back, I think those are challenges that you have to overcome because one of the words that I was going to use was this word of engagement uh, and hesitancy or distance, you know, creating distance so you can't, don't make a mistake. Oh, I just didn't do anything, so I won't make any mistakes. I think those are the opposite of engagement. And I, I would probably say that for a man to think about raising a little girl and then a young girl and then an adolescent girl and even a woman to still have um, that engagement power with my daughter, Eilina, you, you got to practice just getting in there and, and not being filled with fear and making mistakes can uh, have a paralyzing effect. So reflectively, I think that's one thing I would challenge people to is sort of get, not, not that you can completely uh, put those things in the rearview mirror, but don't let the broken models of your past have hold on you as you begin to engage with this infant, you know, just holding her tenderly, being able to be gentle and soft, but also being able to talk to your daughter, not necessarily in that, you know, that TV baby voice, but let her hear right. your grown man voice and uh, sing to her off tune, you know, sway with her, you know, with music on. Like, so the, those engagement pieces, those connections are there from the very beginning. I, I just think that that, I don't know, it may be mystical, it may be spiritual, but that connection where you're you're just physically close to your daughter in a you know in a in a beautiful way in the way that only you can be your muscles are going to feel different than you know your wife's muscles your the way your body smells is going to be different i believe that infants pick up on that dramatically mm -hmm. and 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 it's the same with young boys but you almost have to get over the fact that they're a boy to hold them gently to to caress them and although I have seven kids, I am the oldest of seven kids too. Through my mom had two marriages with kids. My dad had one marriage with kids. But, you know, my birth order sort of made me a little, you know, different too. I'll say a little bit more about that later. But you just you just have to get in there. You have to engage and, and be close and be next to this newborn, beautiful creation that you have no clue on what you're doing. But you have to be fully yourself in those moments. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, for, <laughs> because you've had so many kids and I feel like I'm, I'm sure this comes up for you where when you tell people, yeah, I have seven kids, everybody's like, oh my gosh, what in the world? Because even when I tell 
the, um, your story, at least a little bit of it to others. People are like, what? How did that happen? Why would anybody do that? You know, and, and for me, it's, it's more about what a testament is to the, really the commitment that you have to family and even the impact of building such a, such a great family. Because one of the things that I always say is, it's like all of your kids are just amazing kids. You know, you would think at least a couple of them would have become knuckleheads and done their own thing and veered off in terms of like the values that you guys instill. So part of me is like, well, how did, how in the world did Dan do that? You know? And as I look at some of the questions that I even sent you, it feels like with the question of like, what advice would you give yourself at that age? I almost start to think, were you able to kind of like keep upgrading with some of that advice from child to child? Where it's like, okay, this is what Dan, you know, did when Eilina was born. And then now, you know, with Lexi, it's like, what's the difference between the advice that you would have given that Dan who had Eilina to the advice that you would give, you know, for the father of Lexi? Yeah, well, Eilina Eilina has paid me a number of compliments without knowing that she's paid me compliments. And so I think one of the little, whatever you want to call it, nuggets or secrets or something that you can build on immediately. Um, Oftentimes, Eilina will say to me, well, dad, you love mom so much that it's clear you love her more than you love your kids. And it's a, a sort of a weird thing to hear, but I think that that would be the answer to your question. To every single day, endeavor to love your wife, to love my wife in such a way that for your children, you're creating an absolute environment, no questions asked. My dad loves my mom. That to me, I think had a power greater than I understand even as I'm talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Because that meant for my kids, this is a safe environment. This environment isn't going to crack. This environment, there's not going to be a fissure. There's not going to be a wedge. So to endeavor to love your wife in such a way that your kids have a great sense of safety enables that nurturing environment to exist. I would almost say it this way. Your kids won't open up if they're in that state of nervousness where are mom and dad good? Are they are they good for a yeah. week? Are they good? So so now there's a there's a couple of different corollaries to this. One, it does something organic in the family mix. And so after every child that we had, I learned how to love my wife differently. And I would argue with more passion or with more precision or with more excellence. Some of it were, you know, measurable things like um work that I would do. It takes a lot to raise kids. So if Griska is busy with an infant, she's got to know that I can handle the older kids. If um, she's absolutely zonked and uh, uh, laundry or cleaning or whatever needs to be done, she needs to know that I got that covered. And that environment enabled us to love our kids oftentimes and not not spend as much time worrying if we're good with one another. The mm-hmm. other thing it does, and this is this is really precise with women and adolescent girls, 
and little girls is every single time you love your wife, and I'm talking inclusive of loving language or acts of service or gifts or just what comes out of your mouth when you're in an argument, every single time they watch your interaction with the woman that you're calling your one and only, you are preparing them to see a healthy model. Mm-hmm. So loving Eilina meant me demonstrating love for Griska. And Eilina was like, you know, that front row fan looking at it all so that she has a healthy reference point for how men should regard, treat, esteem, and love women. Mm-hmm. That to me, uh, translates well for boys because they know what the expectation is if they're going to um, give themselves heart, mind, body, and soul to another woman. They will have had a reference point in my life um, before before them. But for women, yeah. for Eilina, she needs to know this is how a man ought to treat me. And if if a young man cannot do better, or as much as I'm doing, she knows, man, this is going to be a, it may not be now, it may not be tomorrow, but there's going to be a problem down the line. So I, I really believe that me loving Griska well translates into a healthy way of raising children. Some might hear that and think that he's saying be neglectful. I'm, I'm not saying be neglectful. I'm saying that if you don't get that right, if you don't get that foundation right, kids will suffer. And I think that's yeah. my broken model. And I'm sure that you can, you know, you, you have your own story, which I'm aware of. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it changes the nature of how we um, look at relationships and look at family structures when we don't have that assurance that our parents are solid. Did it feel like the stakes were higher for the girls? You know what I mean? Like as, as you loved your wife and, and stay committed to loving your wife at a, at a high level, did it feel like, the stakes are a little bit higher with your girls as opposed to the the boys in that regard? It it did because our culture is not gentle with girls or women. Our culture is, there's a a ridiculous double standard uh, with girls that uh, Eilina could easily fall prey to some of the messages in media that she needed to be a particular size. She needed to have a particular hair color, skin color, the list goes on and on. So again, Eilina seeing me say to Griska, as you are beautiful, wonderful, I love you with everything. Eilina begins to understand that that is how a man should be relating to her well, how any person should be relating to her with respect and dignity, not out of performance. And I think for women in general, our culture has not defined them in who they are, but I think our culture has defined them in what they can do. So women grow up, I think, it's my opinion, really having to perform uh, or meet some standards that are super artificial. They're not, they're not from the kingdom of God, I would say. They're not biblically based. They are culturally based and they do a lot of harm. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I do think it was higher stakes. Yeah. And so even, you know, with that being said, if you could go back, especially we could look at, you know, with Eilina, who, who is now 26, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
I mean, there's so many different ways where, as you talk about like moving the conversation, because I have tons and tons of questions, but I want to, I want to really zero in on when it comes to your girls specifically, it's like, what would you just do the same? It's like you, you basically showed up a certain way and you're like, man, I, I really, I really hit the nail on the head. Like I, I did this right and I wouldn't change it. I would, I would do this. If I could go back, I would actually do the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but help them make their bed daily. Brush, go with them and brush their teeth. Let them see you brush your teeth. Let them see you put your socks on. Your life shouldn't be hidden from, from your daughters. Let them hear you laugh. Hold them when you're laughing. Get down on the floor and get at their level. Now, that doesn't mean don't sit down and put time blocked out on the calendar and think about when you're going to spend time. But like you're doing life with this life and, and enjoy those moments. Maybe, Johan, I would say it this way. Don't be in a hurry. Don't pencil mm-hmm. them in and say, yo, 45 minutes is up, 15 minutes is up. Those are the, those are the things that they remember that you, you, you penciled them in to a calendar. Like Those are the pernicious things. Those are the yeah. things that stick. When it's the yeah. everyday flow of life, when, when, it's, when uh, it's... I really try hard to, to say, to never say to Lexi, go get me this. Mm-hmm. Do this for me. I'll say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. Hey, let's unload the dishwasher. And of course, there's all the pushback and there's stuff like that, but it's the, just the regular living of life, the life on life, life mm-hmm. on life. That to me, I, I, I wrote it down noticing the small things. Um, and, you know, if you're going to add things to the love bank of your child, you're adding pennies and nickels and quarters, not making a $100 deposit every once in a while. Those pennies, those nickels, those quarters, because the everyday life stuff is, is the best. I hate the idea of living between events because for Lexi, every moment is an event for her right now. Right. Um, you know, when we get older, we tend to see life as a series of semi-connected events. But for young children, every moment is on and popping. So mm-hmm. I want her to think that her dad was part of the on and popping. It was a it was a Tuesday afternoon, and my wife and I were were on our way to an appointment with a baby cardiologist. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the technical name, but that's what we'll call it here. And The car ride there was full of anticipation. We had so many questions about the state of our daughter Isla's heart, and we were just anxious to unload them on the doctor. When we arrived, it felt like we were in that waiting room for for ages. Or maybe it just felt that way because of what was at stake and all the questions that were looming. Once we were finally in the room, they laid my wife down and, and they performed the most thorough, painstakingly comprehensive ultrasound I've ever witnessed in my life. They would zoom in, take pictures, and then they would zoom out. 
I mean, I was lost as to what was happening. It felt like they got what they needed in the first 15 minutes, but 45 minutes later, they needed one last moment of zooming in, taking pictures, and zooming out. And technician said, I'm, I'm sending the results to the doctor. She'll meet with you in the next room. We walked in, and there was an iPad there. Yep, this was a virtual doctor's appointment because, well, COVID. And all I could think about as we waited for the doctor, I could remember on this mirror at home, my wife had written in lipstick on the mirror. And she'd written, strong lungs, strong heart. And as we were in this room, just waiting, I could just see those words etched into the mirror. And we, we sat in hope. There was, a, there was a moment where we just didn't know what was ahead. And I remember the doctor appeared on the screen and she greeted us and she introduced herself. Then she asked, like, why are you here today? And we told her about the hole in our daughter's heart. And she paused and she started to inform us about what they saw. And there was a lot of medical jargon that I really didn't understand. And then she just paused again and she looked at us and said, your daughter's heart is structurally perfect. And my wife and I, we were kind of taken aback, right? We, we, we looked at each other, but then we asked some follow-up questions. The doctor assured us that if there was a hole in Isla's heart before it, well, it'd been filled. Her heart was healed. The hole had been filled. And as soon as the doctor logged off, we, we absolutely lost it. I mean, we, we completely lost it. We were so relieved, we were so grateful. Our little girl was going to be okay. To my, my little girl, Isla, here's what I've learned so far. Yes, in my two months of fatherhood, I can definitely say I am an expert at being your dad. I've learned that fatherhood is all about moments. And you've already blessed us with with so many moments. You've peed on us many times, right? Me and your mom have been baptized by that. You've also pooped on us. As a matter of fact, you did so tonight while we were bathing you and while I was writing the script, so thanks for that. Your mother and I couldn't help but laugh because, you know, we thought we perfected bath nights until you played this little tiny prank on us. It was a good one. And you know what? You made daddy proud. You've slept in our arms, you've, you've woken us up in the middle of the night, you've cried at the top of your lungs, and you've smiled so big that you made us forget the times that, well, you pooped on us. And these moments may be silly to most people, but they are everything to us. These tiny little moments, they've, they've changed us forever. Kind of like the moment you were born. And the memory is still etched into my mind like it happened seconds ago. You know, the room was silent and everyone's soaking in the miracle of life and, and, the, and the doctor just turns you around as soon as you entered into the world and you just stared at me. Your eyes were, were open. You were so aware. You just locked eyes. And in that moment, that brief, fleeting moment, I knew that my life would never be the same again. See, I lost it. Your mom lost it. And you're going to learn this about me, but... um but I cry as much as you do right about now. And let me tell you something, kiddo, you cry a lot. And the tears, they just kept flowing 
and flowing. And your mother and I were, were overcome with so many feelings, joy, excitement, relief, hope, and a profound sense of this deep abiding love. And the next day I remember holding you, feeling like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to break you because you were so tiny. I remember your, your little hand gently grabbing my finger. It, it was another one of those moments, those, those brief fleeting moments to be cherished as a father. It was in this moment that I could almost hear your voice telling me, Papi, I'm here for you as much as you are for me. And that was the moment that I knew we were going to be okay because we're in this thing together. Thank you so much for being our baby girl, Isla. Mommy and Daddy love you so much. More than you'll ever know. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this first season of From the Future with Love. We're thankful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that made us all stand still and for sharing our content on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our first season on Instagram. We're looking to grow and improve so we can get you the most interesting and engaging content. And if you have any ideas for what season two should look like, please hit us up. My friends, we will see you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan martinez Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact-checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix, and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Listener.